find in the book of John, chapter 14. We'll begin to read this morning in verse number 12. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, a mind to work. A mind to work. John chapter 14, we'll begin to read in verse 12. I invite you to stand, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in John chapter 14, beginning to read in verse number 12. Jesus says these words, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. That day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? Judas, not Iscariot, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now listen, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Let's pray together. God, we ask your Spirit would speak to us this morning. God, I pray, would shine light from this text this morning into our hearts. We pray for the one that's never been saved, that's never turned from sin and trusted you to be Lord of their life. We pray for fellow believers today, God, who are out of your will, uh, who need a reviving touch upon their life today. God, I pray your spirit will convict them where they're not right with you today. For those of, you, of us, God, that are walking with you today, God, I pray we'll be reminded from Scripture that the Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. God, we can't do anything without you. But God, I pray in these days, you will help us not to look at the problems, the challenges, and the adversities that are all involved in ministry, but we'll look to the harvest, which is white, it's ready, it's plentiful. God, I pray that we'll have a mind for the work that you've left us to do in these days. Whatever you're calling men and women to do today during time of invitation, God, I pray we'll respond to it with yes. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm about you to be seated. Last week, we looked at uh, the first six chapters of John chapter 14. They're some of the most read verses in all of the Bible because of their encouragement, because of their promise that for the believer, this is not it. Jesus has gone away, and he is preparing us a place, and he will come again one day and receive us uh, to himself. They're just a brief glimpse of all that awaits those who have believed on Jesus as Lord. 
Uh, but there was an evangelist of years past that said some Christians are so heavenly minded, though, that they're no earthly good. And so there has to be a balance. While we are heavenly minded, we look forward to heaven, the promise of heaven, and we all want to go there. And with John, we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Can I get an amen? We're ready for him to come. It's a difficult day. But in that still, friend, we have to be of earthly good to the kingdom of God. There must be a balance. I want you to, uh, you know, have a little, little experiment with me this morning, just to set the illustration. Go in your mind with me. It's, it's late August. Um, things are just beginning to turn brown just a little bit. It's not yet fall, but it's not summer anymore. There's a 50-acre bean field uh, that's in front of us. It's got green beans all in it. They're strung. Harvest is, is, is ready. Frost is just around the corner. There's several things that are true. There's a harvest that's waiting. It's there on the vine. Uh, it needs to be harvested. And the second truth is that someone has to go and harvest the crop if it's going to be harvested. The beans don't just make their way into the basket by themselves and they don't make it back to the house and they don't make it into the mason jar or the freezer. Someone has to go into the field that's ripe unto harvest and they have to do the work of harvesting. And third, I want you to see that there's an end date for the opportunity to harvest. Once the frost comes, it, the beans are spoiled. There, there's, a, there's an end date when the, the day for harvest will be no more. Well, the family that owns the field, they show up before daylight. They're there at the 50-acre field. There's a harvest to do, and they work from can to can't. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Can to can't, some of you don't have a clue. They, they work, they begin work when they can see, and they work till they can't see anymore. They work from can to can. Well, you know, one could, one could study about how to harvest green beans, you know, and, and, and one could attend seminars. Uh, they could sit all day on the tailgate and just talk about the need that exists, that there's the beans that are in the field. There's a need to, to get the fields. They could even write some little songs about uh, that the, the, the beans are perishing in the field, and someone needs to get busy and to, to harvest one could just sit on the tailgate all day and, and just, just wait, you know, and, and do absolutely nothing. Just wait till can't. Just wait till it's too late. Just look at the field, know it's there, but just be too busy to go into the, to the harvest. You know, one could get into the field of harvest and just complain all day about the difficulty of the harvest, uh, the, the, the difficulty of the pain of being bent over. you got one or two choices. You're going to have a sore back or sore knees. You, you could just complain about the, the pain, the difficult, the heat from the August sun, etc., etc. All those challenges. Or one could thank God for the harvest, the opportunity to be a part of it, the physical and mental strength that he lends to help bring in the harvest, and the future rejoicing that there's going to be for the harvest. And what I mean by that is, in a pot with a strip of fat back and a little salt. Can I get an amen? That's the future rejoicing over that. And then the rest, that's soon to come. Get in the field, do the work, and there's rest that's soon to come. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, we see a spiritual reality that, that came about in the lives of all those people that God sent Nehemiah through the proclamation of Artaxerxes back 
to Jerusalem to help build the wall because of the city was a reproach. It was really a picture of where they were spiritually. In 52 days, they rebuilt the entire wall around Jerusalem. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah recorded one of the reasons that that existed. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 4, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Now listen, for the people had a mind to work. There was a job to be done. The wall had to be rebuilt. It was difficult. It was laborious. There were challenges. There was an enemy that they had to face. There were all kinds of hardships and difficulties and threats. But the reason it got accomplished was this. It began because they had a mind to work. They wanted to see the wall built. In these verses that we have in John chapter 14, the cross is ever before him. Our Lord shares words of challenge, comfort, and encouragement to those with a mind spiritually to work. I want you to notice these five truths this morning. Number one, notice the specificity about work. The specificity about work. He gets very specific about what the work is. Look at, uh, again, verse number 12 of John chapter 14. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. He begins with saying, Most surely I say to you, He who believes in me. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and... Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be safe. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, we've been in a series of discipleship lessons about the commands of Christ. And the first command we find is in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 where Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Believe the gospel. What is it to believe? It means to trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever find that the Bible teaches that anyone is saved by having a head belief, an intellectual belief that Jesus exists. The book of James says every demon in hell has that belief. It's 18 inches further that one has to go. It's to receive Christ into their heart as Lord, to believe on Him as the Lord Jesus of their life. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, who, He who believes, who has trusted me to be Lord of their life, he says, he will, the works that I do, he will do also. Well, what, what works is that? What did Jesus come to do? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the clearest explanation that Christ ever gave. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Well, the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. That's all people. Christ desires that all people be saved. That's why Jesus came, to seek lost people and to see them saved from their sins. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For the Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. Jesus said, I didn't come just to sit around with a bib on my neck and everybody to serve me. Rather, he came with an apron of service. And he demonstrated it, friend, and that he gave his life for a lost and dying world. 
That's the mind that Christ had for the work that God sent him to do. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we saw last week another command of Christ. We're to go. Those of us who have repented, those who have trusted Jesus to be Lord, we're to go as you are going and do what? We're to make disciples. That's the reaching, teaching, and encouraging. We're to share the gospel that people might be saved, to respond to the gospel, trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Then we're to teach them to observe, not just to hold in their head. We're to teach them the Word of God that they might do those things, that they may obey them, and to encourage people to serve God all the days of their life. Don't be like the multiplied millions who started out like a shooting star but then burned out into nothing and they're sitting around somewhere in their home today, grumpy, with church hurt, not serving God anymore. To encourage people to keep serving the Lord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. Once, once you receive power, once you've been saved, once the Holy Spirit begins to indwell your heart, you're to be my witnesses. Begin in Jerusalem, that's your front yard. Judea, that's your county. Samaria, that's the state and outward places. And to the uttermost parts of the world, that's from pole to pole, one side of the equator to the other. God wants everybody to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to be saved. That's the work of ministry. That's what the local church is there to do. Verse 12, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. He says, when, when I leave, the works to continue. Jesus ministered in a body of flesh and blood. When you saw him, you saw a human body. It was in the spirit like the Gnostics that Paul wrote to try to refute their doctrine in the book of Colossians believed there was just a spirit that hung on the cross. No, friend, it was a body in flesh and blood. His blood flowed from his body of flesh and blood. So Jesus ministered in the body of flesh and blood. Well, he departed. He ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit came, but the mission continues, and he still does that through his spiritual body, the local church. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to my Father. He will do also. That is, if Jesus is really Lord of your life, He says, you'll be obedient to the command. He says, if, if Christ is really Lord, if I'm really Lord of you, then you're going to do the same work, wherever it is, as you were going, that I did as I was going. What's the reflexive truth? If I don't do those things, listen, friend, Jesus says, then He's not Lord of your life. He says, but if he really is, these things you will do. How could it be greater works? Because he does them through us and, thank God, in spite of us. He does the work through us, which leads us to our next point, the strength for the work. So we've seen the specificity about the work. What is the work we're to have a mind for? It's great commission work, living on mission, reaching, teaching, and encouraging, being the hands and feet of the gospel. But now notice the strength for the work. Look at verse number 16. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. He says, He will give. Well, what is that? It's, it's a gift. Jesus says, God, when, when I leave, God's going to give you a gift. It's another helper. Friend, it's the best friend that you're ever going to have. It's the Holy Spirit of God. 
He's the one that drew you to salvation. He's the one that convicted you of your lostness. He's the one that saw you born again, as it were. He's the one that, that brought about that new spiritual birth in your life. He's the one that convicts you when you sin so that you can get clean. He's the one that helps you understand the Word of God. He's the one that, that leans on you and lets you know this is the person that you need to be sharing with. He's the one that says you need to stop talking. And let me work for this moment. He's the one that leads you to say it's time to do follow-up with this person. He's the one that leads us and guides us and directs us. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He says, I'm going I'm to send you another helper. Verse number two, Jesus said, I go. Well, he says, when I go, he's going to come. Look at verse 16. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. So he, Jesus, is going, but he, the Holy Spirit, was coming, and he would be our helper. And the Bible says in verse number 16 that he would abide forever. That means he'll remain. He's always going to be inside of you. The moment you turned and trusted Jesus Christ, you were indwelt by all the Holy Spirit. And you need to push away from this false doctrine that's in our area that there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Friend, the Holy Spirit is a person. And when you got saved, you got all of him. Some people believe, you know, when you, when you get saved, you get part of the Holy Spirit, and then later when you move into this new level of spirituality, you get the rest of the Holy Spirit. Not so. When we had our children, we didn't get the upper torso for the first year. And the doctor says, now when you, we can tell you're really committed parents, we'll give you the lower torso and sew them together. No, we got all of our children all together. And we knew it because they yelled, and the south end was at work all the time too. There was always something going. Friend, when you get saved, you get all the Holy Spirit. The question is always this. Does he have all of you? It's not a matter of whether you've got all of him. It's whether does he have all of you. Ephesians 5, 18, Be not drunk with wine or excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. That is to be fully controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will always remain with us. Look at verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. It says the world lost people can't receive him as they are. The Bible says, Romans chapter 10, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And thank God for that. In spite of us, when we repent and we call on Jesus to be Lord of our life, he saves us. He cleanses us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But a lost person as they are, verse 17 says, they can't receive the Holy Spirit because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He will dwell in you. He'll be in you. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verses 28 through 30, concerning the world. Then they said to him, these were his quote-unquote disciples that didn't believe, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's God's desire for all lost people, that they'll believe on Jesus and then be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Repent of their sins, Luke 13, 3, Romans 10, 9, and 10, by faith confess him to be Lord of their life. And then when that happens, they receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter preached, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent 
Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say once you're baptized, then you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, no, on the basis that you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, be baptized on the basis of what's taken place. And then we saw this evidence in Acts chapter 10 when Peter went and preached to the house of Cornelius. When the gospel came to the Gentiles. And listen to what happened. The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words. Well, what words had he been speaking? Look at verse, listen to verse 43. To him all the prophets witness, that's Jesus, that through his name, that's Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. What's that in our language? Whoever trusts Jesus to be Lord of their life will be saved from the penalty of sin. And so as Peter was preaching this message to a whole house full of people, the Bible says, well, he's still speaking these words. Then the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Didn't say they were baptized to receive the Holy Spirit, but they were baptized on the basis of they'd repented, trusted Christ, and had received the Holy Spirit. And so, friend, the reason that so many people feel so helpless and without power in ministry is this. They've never been saved. They don't have the power that they need that can only be found through the Holy Spirit. The strength that we have for work and need for work, it's found alone in the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 17 again says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But, Jesus said, you know Him. Not just you know about Him, you know Him through a personal relationship because He indwells you. Jesus says, "For He look at, look at your Bibles, verse 17, for He dwells with you. He lives in your heart. He dwells with you and will be in you. Who is this again? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's all those who have repented of their sins, that is, turned from their sin, confessed their sinner, and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's who has the Holy Spirit. That's who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. And then those begin to follow Him. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. They're able to experience the leading power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you, you know Him. He dwells in you. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word God became flesh and dwelt among us. And for three and a half years, Jesus had dwelt among His disciples. I mean, they saw a body standing there and they recognized the face and the form. They said, well, that's Jesus. I mean, how is that so? Because that's the baby that Mary gave birth to on that first Christmas morning. The Word God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt among his people. Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit the same way. He will dwell in you just as Jesus dwelt in a body of flesh and blood. The Holy Spirit dwells in a body of flesh and blood. Whose body, whose flesh, whose blood? If you've been saved, yours. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's the power that we need for ministry. He says, I will not leave you orphans, but I 
will come to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, and you shall receive power. Power. It's the strength for the work. What work? Reaching, teaching, and encouraging. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The mission continues through His church, through us individually, and the strength we need to accomplish it, friend. It's not our strength. It's His strength living through us. It's the strength that we need for work. The successful Christian life, listen, is not me working for Jesus. It's me yielded to His Lordship and Jesus working through me. Isn't that something? Successful Christian life, it's not about you trying to live for Jesus. It's you just yielding yourself to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, Him working through you to reach people for His namesake, to teach them His Word so that they can observe it, and then to encourage people. You and I don't know what to do on our own. But the Holy Spirit gives us that knowledge, that wisdom, and that power to be successful in the work that he's called us to do. Third, I want you to notice now, the sufficiency in work. The sufficiency in work. Verse 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, a lot of people like to share that truth in that verse and leave out three words, in my name. Whatever you ask, just name it. Whatever you ask God, he's going to give it to you. Well, friend, listen, not so. And can I say to you again this morning, I've said many times, one of the greatest judgments that God can give you is what you ask for. Nation of Israel, boy, they wanted a king. Well, buddy, they got one. His name was Saul. And he absolutely just dealt them terror. The greatest thing you can ask for is for the will of God to be done in your life. Whatever you ask, verse 13, in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It literally says, this, as I'm praying, I'm signing Christ's name to the bottom of it. I'm saying, now, God, I have this need, and I'm asking this in Jesus' name, and also in verse 13, that he'll get all the glory for it that he'll be glorified by everything that comes to pass by what it is that I'm asking for. Look at, look at this emphatic statement in verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Friend, that's a promise. That says, whatever, here it is, friend, whatever you need to be successful in reaching, teaching, and encouraging, God promises, friend, he will give it to you. There is nothing that... He will withhold from you that you need to be successful in sharing the gospel with people as you are going so that they can be saved. You investing the word of God in people's lives, teaching them, helping them to grow in Christ so that they can observe those truths that you're sharing and then being sensitive and effective in encouraging people. Now remember, these are people who are like-minded. Friend, listen to me this morning. You're never going to be able to encourage somebody to be a devoted disciple of Christ that doesn't want to be a devoted disciple of Christ. Did you hear me this morning? I don't care how hard you try to, to reach somebody that doesn't want to be saved, they're not going to be saved. It doesn't matter how hard you try to teach somebody God's Word that doesn't want to receive God's Word, you're not going to be able to teach it to them. I don't care if you can channel the Apostle Paul, Billy Graham, whoever else within you, they're, they're not going to receive it because they don't want it. 
And you're never going to be able to encourage somebody to finish strong that doesn't even want to live for Christ now. When, when we're talking about being effective in ministry and being effective in Great Commission work, it's with like-minded people that have surrendered their life to Christ. They want to learn God's Word so they can grow in God and obey God's Word and experience all that God has for them, and they want to finish strong. God says whatever you need to be effective in that ministry that I want to do in people's lives, if you ask it in my name, Jesus says, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. There's, so I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. Let's, let's think about our, 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 our bean field. Well, they had, they had needs. There were physical needs. They had to have a basket. I mean, I guess you could hold your shirt up all day long and just put them in there. But wouldn't it be more effective to have a half-bushel basket with a good sturdy handle? So they needed a basket. They needed, they needed physical strength. Needed a good long sleeve shirt. You stay cooler with long sleeves. My papa taught me that early, son. Don't be like all these that are out there just burning up without their shirt on. Keep a long sleeve shirt on. You'll stay cooler all day. You know what? He was right. He said, work smarter, not harder. So there, there were physical needs for their, for their body. They needed water. They needed a meal. They needed physical strength to be able to start and finish the day. Well, they had the, the, these people working in the field, they had mental needs. They needed to have focus. Focus on the task at hand. They couldn't be called up thinking about all these different things, what their friends were doing who weren't in the field, the bird that just flew over, some conversation somebody's having that's being lazy in row number five, not doing what they're supposed to. They need focus. They need grit. If you're going to work all day, friend, you, you're going to have grit to stay in the bean field. You need mental toughness to keep pressing forward. They had spiritual needs, skill. Don't just, just start and grab here and grab. You need to have a plan, the most effective way to harvest the beans. You needed help, to pray for help, to pray for more like-minded workers. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. Friend, you're always going to have needs. Your family's always going to have needs. This local church is always going to have needs as it comes to the work of the Lord. There's, there's physical needs. We need a house to live in. We need food. We need water. We need clothing. God, we need money to be able to pay the bills for the needs, not the greeds. God, I, I, have, I, have, I have needs. There may be needs as far as to sharing the gospel with somebody, but God, there's physical needs that we have. God, I, need, I, need men, God, I have mental needs, Lord. God, keep me focused. Lord, the devil wants me to quit. Keep me focused on what it is that we're, we're doing. God, help me to be mentally tough, to endure hardship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he might please him who has called him to be a soldier. God, help me to be tough, to be gritty in these days. God, give me, I have spiritual needs. God, give me the plan that you have in my, for, our, for my individual walk. Who do you want me to try to share the gospel with next? Who do you want my family to try to build a relationship with next? What field do you want us to be in? God, give, give, me, give me the wisdom I need, the different illustrations I need. The timeless truths are always there, but God, give me the application that I need for specific parts of the Word. And God, help me to know when somebody needs a word of encouragement. I don't know, God. Those things come from you. I need those, I need those spiritual helpings. 
Always pray for more workers. Pray for people to join in. We're talking about the sufficiency of work, the things that we need. Listen to what James says in James chapter two and verse, James chapter four, verses two and three. He says, "You lust and you do not have." This is for things God doesn't want you to. You murder and covet, and you can't obtain. You fight in the war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. I said, so many Christians go around just half caught. They don't have the equipment, the plan, the wisdom, the discernment, any of the things they need because they don't go to God and they don't ask. And one of the reasons why is this, friend: to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. They don't ask because they don't want to be responsible. He says, you, you, you don't have because you don't ask. And some do ask, and they don't receive because you ask amiss. You ask for your own needs. You're not asking for my glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, the things you're asking, it's for your plan, for your life, James says. And that's why God doesn't give it to you. He says, rather, your, plan, your prayer should be, God, give me exactly what I need to accomplish what you've called me to do today. I'm totally and wholly, completely dependent upon you. I'm here, I'm ready to work, I want to serve you, but I need you to do the things and set before me the things I need to accomplish, what you've called me to do. And Jesus says he will do it for his glory. Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. He says, put me in first place in all areas of your life, and what? Then all these things shall be added unto you. He says, I'll give you what you need to accomplish the work. Fourth notice now, the sincerity to work. A lot, of, a lot was sung this morning about loving you. Do you love Jesus Christ this morning? Say amen. Do you, really, do, do you love him? Say amen. If you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, say amen. amen. Hey, sing this with me this morning. Oh, how I love Jesus. Now, don't sing it if you don't mean it. Sing it with me. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus. Some of you aren't singing, because he first loved me. Let's try it one more time and get everybody. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, oh. How I love Jesus because He first loved me. If you mean that, say amen. amen. Listen to what the Bible says in verse number 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Look at verse number 23. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we'll make our home with him. Now listen to verse 24. Does anybody else's Bible have this in red this morning? Raise your hand. Who wrote that? He said, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. See, there's always a reflexive truth to every truth. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, the reflexive truth would have already been there, but Jesus goes ahead and verbally just says it. He says, but if you don't keep my commands, he said, you don't love me. I don't care how you sing it, 
how you say it, how you raise your hand to it, how many tears you cry, what altar you fall at. Jesus says it doesn't matter. The evidence, friend, isn't what you say, it's what you do. That's what Jesus said. You know, we've, we've been going through some commands of Christ on Sunday night to, to give ourselves a tool that we can use to help disciple people who are being formed in Christ. The first command that we found was in Mark chapter 1, verses 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. I call you to repent and to believe. And that's where salvation starts. But that next command is found in verse number 17 of Mark chapter 1. That's to follow him. That's to forsake all and begin to follow him. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pattern. It becomes a, a habit. It becomes a way of life that we don't follow ourselves, but we follow Jesus every day. That's a command. The next command is to be baptized. It's not a choice. It's not an option. It is a command of Christ, Matthew 28. Every person who's repented of sin and trusted Christ is to be baptized by immersion. That's a command. It's a command of Christ to pray and to study His Word. It's not a choice. It's a command of Christ. We are to pray, to spend time daily praying, and also praying through Scripture as we read. As you read God's Word, God is speaking to you. As you meditate upon that Word, friend, you're listening to God, but He's also listening to you. You're, you're praying as you read through Scripture. We saw uh, last week, we're to make disciples, Matthew 28. Not an option. It's a command of Christ to go and make disciples. We do that by reaching teaching, and encouraging. It's a command of Christ. You're to forgive your neighbor. You don't have a choice. It's a command. It doesn't matter what they've done. There's no asterisks. There's no see the fine lawyer print on the back of the page. Jesus said we are to forgive those who have wrongfully used us. We have no choice in it. Those are just some commands of Christ. And so all these commands are from the mouth of Christ. So seeing here now, Jesus gives us a formula. He says, if you love me, you keep my commands. If you don't keep my commands, you don't love me. Now, don't raise your hands. But how many of you could still raise your hand and say you love the Lord this morning? See, it's easy to say it. Jesus stands on Sunday morning and says, I won't say I love the Lord. I've been saved for 19 years, 30... You've heard it many times. All that, you listen to me, friend, all of that means nothing if you're not a doer of God's Word. Some of us don't even love the Lord enough to come back on Wednesday night. I've been here for seven years as your pastor. I've seen, there's some faces I've never seen in this church on a Wednesday night. Some never come back on Sunday night. Some don't serve and help as one of listeners. Or in, say, I love the Lord. Friend, the evidence isn't what you say, it's what you do. Jesus said, he who loves me keeps my commandments. That's the evidence. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And that's why so many churches today, friend, are busting at the seams. Why? Because they're, they're leaving out doctrinal truths that build healthy disciples. And that's one of them. Because you just live the way you want to live. We're just glad you're here and especially your wallet. When Jesus says, if you love me, you'll, you'll do my words. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is this, friend. Are there commands of Christ that I willfully refuse to obey? Are, are there commands of Christ that I'm just not, not going to do? I've made my mind up. I'm not going to do this. 
then you don't love Jesus Christ. But He loves you. God loves you. It's not in word only, friend. The cross of Christ says, I love you. He proved it. He demonstrates His love. The cross of Christ demonstrates that. And listen, the cross of your life will demonstrate that. Where's your cross this morning? Luke 9, 23. Do you have a cross that daily you pick up and crucify yourself on that only the will of God might be done in your life? There's the sincerity to work. But notice this morning also, there's the standard of work. Look what the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 31. But that the world may know, may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. Jesus says, I want the world to know. Not only that I love you, but first he says, I love the Father. He says, my, my, first, my first love is not for you. He says, it's for God the Father. He says, and that the world may know that I love him. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. It's the Father gave me commandments, so I do. What's that? To go to the cross. To give his life a ransom for many. He says, so I do. And notice the encouragement. He says, arise. We can't stay here and just commemorate that I washed your feet and we had the last Lord's Supper together. There's a lost and dying world out there that needs to be saved. And I'm going to be the sacrifice. I'm going to take Chad Chandler's sin. I'm going to take Suzanne's sin. I'm going to take Wayne Griffin's sin. I'm going to take everybody's sin upon myself. He didn't want to do that. But he wanted to be obedient to the will of God. He didn't want to experience sin. It wasn't the nails, friend. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the spear. It's that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That was the terror of the cross for Jesus. But he pushed all of that aside. Why? To be obedient to what God had called him to do. He said, arise. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go do the work. Somebody's got to get in the field. It's so easy for us just to curse the darkness and to, to look at the television and say, I'm so sick of our country and the shape and the, the lawlessness and the way people live. Why do they live that way? It's because sin and they don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God's called us, friend, to be the hands and feet of the gospel, to get off the tailgate, to get out in the field and to live on mission. If we really love Jesus, we'll do it. We'll do it. What's the reflexive truth? If we don't do it, we don't love Jesus. We love that we're not going to have to go to hell. We love that sometimes he'll fix our physical problems when we get on the prayer list. But we don't love him enough to surrender our life and be obedient to what the single command that he gave the church to go to the field and share the gospel that they might be saved. That they might be saved. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Listen, listen to what Matthew wrote. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. This is how Jesus would see the news today. This is how Jesus would look out at Portland, Oregon, and all those rich white kids running around in black pajamas burning their cities down. This is how Jesus would look at people just storming into stores and 
ravaging and stealing everything. This is how Jesus looks at abortion clinics and the people that do them. This is how Jesus looks at every person that's lost and dying and going to hell. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As Jesus prays today for more disciples to help in the harvest, will you have that same mind for the work that he had and has for the work that's set before us today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Friend, if there's never been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, won't you do it today? He loves you. He died for you. But he won't violate your will. You must choose to surrender your life. Surrender your life to his lordship. Turn from all your sin. Trust Jesus to be Lord of you today. If you'll simply tell him in the quietness of your heart, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. He rose again. I trust Jesus to be Lord of me. Save me, Jesus. If you prayed that in a minute, friend, he saved you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we stand our feet in just a few moments, would you not make your way down to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life? Friend, the Scripture can't be more clear. Jesus said disobedience demonstrates a lack of love. The first letter that was written to the seven churches in Asia, Revelation chapter 2, was to the church at Ephesus. It was a church that had lost their love. It was demonstrated and they weren't obedient to what God had called them to do. And this was his message to them. To, to him that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, then remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly. I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. His message to a person, listen to me, that's not obedient to all the commands of Christ, his message to one who once repented and trusted Christ and began to follow him as a disciple is this. Receive the word. Remember who you used to be and how you used to love Jesus when you obeyed him. Repent. Turn from that today and return. That's his call to you today. I wonder if there's someone here who heartily sang, Oh, how I love Jesus. But as we were confronted with his word and some of his commands, we realized that we really don't according to his definition of love. Why not this morning just pray this, God, forgive me where I failed in disobedience. God, break my heart over it. And Lord, give me a brand new start today. I've received your word. God, I remember where I've fallen from. I turn from it today. I turn from it today. And God, I want to return to a right, renewed relationship with you today. Fully obedient to every command, no matter the cost. That's my prayer today. If you prayed that in a minute, friend, seize it. Go do something with it. And to those that are serving the Lord today, remember the Bible says, Let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Pray that God will help you to strengthen those things that remain today. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll do the work only you can do. Draw lost people to your side today. Convict backslid Christians today, God, over their disobedience and what it demonstrates. And God, burden us 
for fields that are white unto harvest. And I pray, God, we'll be faithful with a mind to work in these days. Let's reverently stand our feet.